Part two of Book two of On the Nature of the Gods by Marcus Tullius Cicero, translated by Charles Duke Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Thus far have I spoken concerning the universe and also of the stars from whence it is apparent that there is almost an infinite number of gods always in action but without labour or fatigue for they are not composed of veins nerves and bones their food and drink are not such as cause humours too gross or too subtle nor are their bodies such as to be subject to the fear of falls or blows or in danger of diseases from a weariness of limbs epicurus to secure his gods from such accidents has made them only outlines of deities void of action but our gods being of the most beautiful form and situated in the purest region of the heavens dispose and rule their course in such a manner that they seem to contribute to the support and preservation of all things besides these there are many other natures which have with reason been deified by the wisest grecians and by our ancestors in consideration of the benefits derived from them for they were persuaded that whatever was of great utility to humankind must proceed from divine goodness and the name of the deity was applied to that which the deity produced as when we call corn ceres and wine bacchus whence that saying of terence without ceres and bacchus venus starves Close quote. and any quality also in which there was any singular virtue was nominated a deity such as faith and wisdom which are placed among the divinities in the capital the last by aemilius scaurus but faith was consecrated before by atilius calatinus you see the temple of virtue and that of honour repaired by m marcellus erected formerly in the ligurian war by q maximus need i mention those dedicated to help safety concord liberty and victory which have been called deities because their efficacy has been so great that it could not have proceeded from any but from some divine power in like manner are the names of cupid voluptas and of lubentine venus consecrated though they were things vicious and not natural whatever valeus may think to the contrary for they frequently stimulate nature in too violent a manner everything then from which any great utility proceeded was deified and indeed the names i have just now mentioned are declaratory of the particular virtue of each deity it has been a general custom likewise that men who have done important service to the public should be exalted to heaven by fame and universal consent thus hercules castor and pollux Esculapius and Liber became gods. I mean Liber, 
the son of semele and not him whom our ancestors consecrated in such state and solemnity with ceres and libera the difference in which may be seen in our mysteries but because the offsprings of our bodies are called quotes, liberi children therefore the offsprings of ceres are called liber and libera libera is the feminine and liber the masculine thus likewise romulus or quirinus for they are thought to be the same became a god they are justly esteemed as deities since their souls subsist and enjoy eternity from whence they are perfect and immortal beings there is another reason too and that founded on natural philosophy which has greatly contributed to the number of deities namely the custom of representing in human form a crowd of gods who have supplied the poets with fables and filled mankind with all sorts of superstition zeno has treated of this subject but it has been discussed more at length by cleanthes and chrysippus all greece was of opinion that coilum was castrated by his son saturn and that saturn was chained by his son jupiter in these impious fables a physical and not inelegant meaning is contained for they would denote that the celestial most exalted and ethereal nature that is the fiery nature which produces all things by itself is destitute of that part of the body which is necessary for the act of generation by conjunction with another by saturn they mean that which comprehends the course and revolution of times and seasons the greek name for which deity implies as much for he is called chronos which is the same with chronos that is a space of time but he is called saturn because he is filled saturatur with years and he is usually feigned to have devoured his children because time ever insatiable consumes the rolling years but to restrain him from immoderate haste jupiter has confined him to the course of the stars which are as chains to him jupiter that is euans pater signifies a helping father whom by changing the cases we call jove a euando the poets call him father of gods and men and our ancestors the most good the most great and as there is something more glorious in itself and more agreeable to others to be good that is beneficent than to be great the title of most good precedes that of most great this then is he whom ennius means in the following passage before quoted quote, look up to the refulgent heaven above which all men call unanimously jove which is more plainly expressed than in this other passage of the same poet quote, on whose account i'll curse that flood of light whate'er it is above that shines so bright 
Our augurs also mean the same when, for the thundering and lightning heaven, they say the thundering and lightning Jove. Euripides, among many excellent things, has this, quote, The vast, expanded, boundless sky behold, See it, with soft embrace, the earth enfold. This own the chief of deities above, and this acknowledge by the name of Jove. The air, according to the Stoics, which is between the sea and the heaven, is consecrated by the name of Juno, and is called the sister and wife of Jove, because it resembles the sky, and is in close conjunction with it. They have made it feminine because there is nothing softer, but I believe it is called Juno, a yuando from helping to make three separate kingdoms by fable there remained yet the water and the earth the dominion of the sea is given therefore to neptune a brother as he is called of jove whose name neptunus as portunus aportu from aport is derived a nando from swimming the first letters being a little changed. The sovereignty and power over the earth is the portion of a god to whom we, as well as the Greeks, have given a name that denotes riches, in Latin, dis, in Greek, pluton, because all things arise from the earth and return to it. He forced away Proserpine, in Greek called Persephone, by which the poets mean the seed of corn. From whence comes their fiction of Ceres, the mother of Proserpine, seeking for her daughter, who was hidden from her. She is called Ceres, which is the same as Geres, Agerendis frugibus, from bearing fruit. The first letter of the word being altered after the manner of the Greeks, for by them she is called Demeter, the same as Gemeter. Again he, qui magna vorteret, who brings about mighty changes, is called Mavars, and Minerva is so called because Minueret, or Minaretur, she diminishes or menaces. And as the beginnings and endings of all things are of the greatest importance, therefore they would have their sacrifices to begin with Janus. His name is derived ab eundo from passing, from whence thorough passages are called yani, and the outward doors of common houses are called yanui. The name of Vesta is from the Greeks, the same with their Estia. Her province is over altars and hearths, and in the name of this goddess, who is the keeper of all things within, prayers and sacrifices are concluded. The di penates, household gods, have some affinity with this power, and are so called either from penus, all kind of human provisions, or because penitus incident they resigned within 
from which by the poets they are called penetrales also apollo a greek name is called soul the sun and diana luna the moon the sun soul is so named either because he is solus alone so eminent above all the stars or because he obscures all the stars and appears alone as soon as he rises luna the moon is so called a lucendo from shining she bears the name also of lucina and as in greece the women in labor invoke diana lucifera so here they invoke juno lucina she is likewise called diana omniwaga not a venando from hunting but because she is reckoned one of the seven stars that seem to wander she is called diana because she makes a kind of day of the night and presides over births because the delivery is effected sometimes in seven or at most in nine courses of the moon which because they make mensa spatia measured spaces are called menses months this occasioned a pleasant observation of timaeus as he has many having said in his history that the same night in which alexander was born the temple of diana at ephesus was burned down he adds it is not in the least to be wondered at because diana being willing to assist at the labor of olympias was absent from home but to this goddess because adres omnes veniret she has an influence upon all things close quote, we have given the appellation of venus from whom the word venustes beauty is rather derived than venus from venustes do you not see therefore how from the productions of nature and the useful inventions of men have arisen fictitious and imaginary deities which have been the foundation of false opinions pernicious errors and wretched superstitions for we know how the different forms of the gods their ages apparel ornaments their pedigrees marriages relations and everything belonging to them are adapted to human weakness and represented with our passions with lust sorrow and anger according to fabulous history they have had wars and combats not only as homer relates when they have interested themselves in two different armies but when they have fought battles in their own defence against the titans and giants these stories of the greatest weakness and levity are related and believed with the most implicit folly but rejecting these fables with contempt a deity is diffused in every part of nature in earth under the name of ceres in the sea under the name of neptune in other parts under other names yet whatever they are and whatever characters and dispositions they have and whatever name custom has given them we are bound to worship and adore them the best the chastest 
the most sacred and pious worship of the gods is to reverence them always with a pure perfect and unpolluted mind and voice for our ancestors as well as the philosophers have separated superstition from religion they who prayed whole days and sacrificed that their children might survive them ut superstites essent were called superstitious which word became afterward more general but they who diligently perused and as we may say read or practised over again all the duties relating to the worship of the gods were called religiosi religious from religendo reading over again or practising as elegantes elegant ex elegendo from choosing making a good choice diligentes diligent ex diligendo from attending on what we love intelligentes intelligent from understanding for the signification is derived in the same manner thus are the words superstitious and religious understood the one being a term of reproach the other of commendation i think i have now sufficiently demonstrated that there are gods and what they are i am now to show that the world is governed by the providence of the gods this is an important point which you academics endeavour to confound and indeed the whole contest is with you cotta for your sect Valeus, know very little of what is said on different subjects by other schools you read and have a taste only for your own books and condemn all others without examination for instance when you mentioned yesterday that prophetic old dame pronia providence invented by the stoics you were led into that error by imagining that providence was made by them to be a particular deity that governs the whole universe whereas it is only spoken in a short manner as when it is said the commonwealth of athens is governed by the council it is meant of the areopagus so when we say the world is governed by providence we mean by the providence of the gods to express ourselves therefore more fully and clearly we say the world is governed by the providence of the gods be not therefore lavish of your railleries of which your sect has little to spare if i may advise you do not attempt it it does not become you it is not your talent nor is it in your power this is not applied to you in particular who have the education and politeness of a roman but to all your sect in general and especially to your leader a man unpolished illiterate insulting without wit without reputation without elegance i assert then that the universe with all its parts was originally constituted and has without any cessation been ever governed by the providence of the gods this argument we stoics commonly divide into three parts the first of which is that the existence of the gods being once known it must follow that the world is governed by their wisdom 
the second that as everything is under the direction of an intelligent nature which has produced that beautiful order in the world it is evident that it is formed from animating principles the third is deduced from those glorious works which we behold in the heavens and the earth first then we must either deny the existence of the gods as democritus and epicurus by their doctrine of images in some sort do or if we acknowledge that there are gods we must believe they are employed and that too in something excellent now nothing is so excellent as the administration of the universe the universe therefore is governed by the wisdom of the gods otherwise we must imagine that there is some cause superior to the deity whether it be a nature inanimate or a necessity agitated by a mighty force that produces those beautiful works which we behold the nature of the gods would then be neither supreme nor excellent if you subject it to that necessity or to that nature by which you would make the heaven the earth and the seas to be governed but there is nothing superior to the deity the world therefore must be governed by him consequently the deity is under no obedience or subjection to nature but does himself rule over all nature in effect if we allow the gods have understanding we allow also their providence which regards the most important things for can they be ignorant of those important things and how they are to be conducted and preserved or do they want power to sustain and direct them ignorance is inconsistent with the nature of the gods and imbecility is repugnant to their majesty from whence it follows as we assert that the world is governed by the providence of the gods but supposing which is incontestable that there are gods they must be animated and not only animated but endowed with reason united as we may say in a civil agreement and society and governing together one universe as a republic or city thus the same reason the same verity the same law which ordains good and prohibits evil exists in the gods as it does in men from them consequently we have prudence and understanding for which reason our ancestors erected temples to the mind faith virtue and concord shall we not then allow the gods to have these perfections since we worship the sacred and august images of them but if understanding faith virtue and concord reside in humankind how could they come on earth unless from heaven and if we are possessed of wisdom reason and prudence the gods must have the same qualities in a greater degree and not only have them but employ them in the best and greatest works the universe is the best and greatest work therefore it must be governed by the wisdom and providence of the gods lastly as we have sufficiently shown that those glorious and luminous bodies which we behold are deities i mean the sun the moon the fixed and wandering stars the firmament and the world itself 
and those other things also which have any singular virtue and are of any great utility to humankind it follows that all things are governed by providence and a divine mind but enough has been said on the first part it is now incumbent on me to prove that all things are subjected to nature and most beautifully directed by her but first of all it is proper to explain precisely what that nature is in order to come to the more easy understanding of what i would demonstrate some think that nature is a certain irrational power exciting in bodies the necessary motions others that it is an intelligent power acting by order and method designing some end in every cause and always aiming at that end whose works express such skill as no art no hand can imitate for they say such is the virtue of its seed that however small it is if it falls into a place proper for its reception and meets with matter conducive to its nourishment and increase it forms and produces everything in its respective kind either vegetables which receive their nourishment from their roots or animals endowed with motion sense appetite and abilities to beget their likeness some apply the word nature to everything as epicurus does who acknowledges no cause but atoms a vacuum and their accidents but when we say that nature forms and governs the world we do not apply it to a clod of earth or piece of stone or anything of that sort whose parts have not the necessary cohesion but to a tree in which there is not the appearance of chance but of order and a resemblance of art but if the art of nature gives life and increase to vegetables without doubt it supports the earth itself for being impregnated with seeds she produces every kind of vegetable and embracing their roots she nourishes and increases them while in her turn she receives her nourishment from the other elements and by her exhalations gives proper sustenance to the air the sky and all the superior bodies if nature gives vigour and support to the earth by the same reason she has an influence over the rest of the world for as the earth gives nourishment to vegetables so the air is the preservation of animals the air sees with us hears with us and utters sounds with us without it there would be no seeing hearing or sounding it even moves with us for wherever we go whatever motion we make it seems to retire and give place to us that which inclines to the centre that which rises from it to the surface and that which rolls about the centre constitute the universal world and make one entire nature and as there are four sorts of bodies the continuance of nature is caused by their reciprocal changes for the water arises from the earth the air from the water and the fire from the air and reversing this order the air arises from fire the water from the air and from the water the earth the lowest of the four elements of which all beings are formed thus by their continual motions backward and forward 
upward and downward the conjunction of the several parts of the universe is preserved a union which in the beauty we now behold it must be eternal or at least of a very long duration and almost for an infinite space of time and whichever it is the universe must of consequence be governed by nature for what art of navigating fleets or of marshalling an army and to instance the produce of nature what vine what tree what animated form and conformation of their members give us so great an indication of skill as appears in the universe therefore we must either deny that there is the least trace of an intelligent nature or acknowledge that the world is governed by it but since the universe contains all particular beings as well as their seeds can we say that it is not itself governed by nature that would be the same as saying that the teeth and the beard of man are the work of nature but that the man himself is not thus the effect would be understood to be greater than the cause now the universe sows as i may say plants produces raises nourishes and preserves what nature administers as members and parts of itself if nature therefore governs them she must also govern the universe and lastly in nature's administration there is nothing faulty she produces the best possible effect out of those elements which existed let any one show how it could have been better but that can never be and whoever attempts to mend it will either make it worse or aim at impossibilities but if all the parts of the universe are so constituted that nothing could be better for use or beauty let us consider whether this is the effect of chance or whether in such a state they could possibly cohere but by the direction of wisdom and divine providence nature therefore cannot be void of reason if art can bring nothing to perfection without it and if the works of nature exceed those of art how is it consistent with common sense that when you view an image or a picture you imagine it is wrought by art when you behold afar off a ship under sail you judge it is steered by reason and art when you see a dial or water-clock you believe the hours are shown by art and not by chance and yet that you should imagine that the universe which contains all arts and the artificers can be void of reason and understanding but if that sphere which was lately made by our friend poseidonius the regular revolutions of which show the course of the sun moon and five wandering stars as it is every day and night performed were carried into scythia or britain who in those barbarous countries would doubt that that sphere had been made so perfect by the exertion of reason yet these people doubt whether the universe from whence all things arise and are made is not the effect of chance or some necessity rather than the work of reason and a divine mind according to them archimedes shows more knowledge in representing the motions of the celestial globe than nature does in causing them though the copy is so infinitely beneath the original the shepherd 
in adius who had never seen a ship when he perceived from a mountain afar off the divine vessel of the argonauts surprised and frightened at this new object expressed himself in this manner Quote, what horrid bulk is that before my eyes which o'er the deep with noise and vigour flies it turns the whirlpools up its force so strong and drives the billows as it rolls along the ocean's violence it fiercely braves runs furious on and throws about the waves swiftly impetuous in its course and loud like the dire bursting of a showery cloud or like a rock forced by the winds and rain now whirled aloft then plunged into the main but hold perhaps the earth and neptune jar and fiercely wage an elemental war or triton with his trident has o'erthrown his den and loosened from the roots the stone the rocky fragment from the bottom torn is lifted up and on the surface borne at first he is in suspense at the sight of this unknown object but on seeing the young mariners and hearing their singing he says quote, like sportive dolphins with their snouts they roar Close quote. and afterwards goes on quote, loud in my ears methinks their voices ring as if i heard the god sylvanus sing Close quote. as at first view the shepherd thinks he sees something inanimate and insensible but afterward judging by more trustworthy indications he begins to figure to himself what it is so philosophers if they are surprised at first at the sight of the universe ought when they have considered the regular uniform and immutable motions of it to conceive that there is some being that is not only an inhabitant of the celestial and divine mansion but a ruler and a governor as architect of this mighty fabric now in my opinion they do not seem to have even the least suspicion that the heavens and earth afford anything marvellous for in the first place the earth is situated in the middle part of the universe and is surrounded on all sides by the air which we breathe and which is called air which indeed is a greek word but by constant use it is well understood by our countrymen for indeed it is employed as a latin word the air is encompassed by the boundless ether sky which consists of the fires above this word we borrow also for we use ether in latin as well as air though pacuius thus expresses it quote, this of which i speak in latin is coilum ether called in greek Close quote. as though he were not a greek into whose mouth he puts this sentence but he is speaking in latin though we listen as if he were speaking greek for as he says elsewhere quote, his speech discovers him a grecian born but to return to more important matters in the sky innumerable fiery stars exist 
of which the sun is the chief enlightening all with his refulgent splendour and being by many degrees larger than the whole earth and this multitude of vast fires are so far from hurting the earth and things terrestrial that they are of benefit to them whereas if they were moved from their stations we should inevitably be burned through the want of a proper moderation and temperature of heat is it possible for any man to behold these things and yet imagine that certain solid and individual bodies move by their natural force and gravitation and that a world so beautifully adorned was made by their fortuitous concourse he who believes this may as well believe that if a great quantity of the one-and-twenty letters composed either of gold or any other matter were thrown upon the ground they would fall into such order as legibly to form the annals of Aeneas. i doubt whether fortune could make a single verse of them how therefore can these people assert that the world was made by the fortuitous concourse of atoms which have no colour no quality which the greeks call poiotes no sense or that there are innumerable worlds some rising and some perishing in every moment of time but if a concourse of atoms can make a world why not a porch a temple a house a city which are works of less labour and difficulty certainly those men talk so idly and inconsiderately concerning this lower world that they appear to me never to have contemplated the wonderful magnificence of the heavens which is the next topic for our consideration well then did aristotle observe quote, if there were men whose habitations had been always underground in great and commodious houses adorned with statues and pictures furnished with everything which they who are reputed happy abound with and if without stirring from thence they should be informed of a certain divine power and majesty and after some time the earth should open and they should quit their dark abode to come to us where they should immediately behold the earth the seas the heavens should consider the vast extent of the clouds and force of the winds should see the sun and observe his grandeur and beauty and also his generative power inasmuch as day is occasioned by the diffusion of his light through the sky and when night has obscured the earth they should contemplate the heavens bespangled and adorned with stars the surprising variety of the moon in her increase and wane the rising and setting of all the stars and the inviolable regularity of their courses when close quote, says he quote, they should see these things they would undoubtedly conclude that there are gods and that these are their mighty works Close quote. thus far aristotle let us imagine also as great darkness as was formerly occasioned by the eruption of the fires of mount etna which are said to have obscured the adjacent countries for two days to such a degree that no man could recognize his fellow but on the third when the sun appeared they seemed to be risen from the dead now if we should be suddenly brought from a state of eternal darkness to see the light 
how beautiful would the heaven seem but our minds have become used to it from the daily practice and habituation of our eyes nor do we take the trouble to search into the principles of what is always in view as if the novelty rather than the importance of things ought to excite us to investigate their causes is he worthy to be called a man who attributes to chance not to an intelligent cause the constant motion of the heavens the regular courses of the stars the agreeable proportion and connection of all things conducted with so much reason that our intellect itself is unable to estimate it rightly when we see machines move artificially as a sphere a clock or the like do we doubt whether they are the productions of reason and when we behold the heavens moving with a prodigious celerity and causing an annual succession of the different seasons of the year which vivify and preserve all things can we doubt that this world is directed i will not say only by reason but by reason most excellent and divine for without troubling ourselves with too refined a subtlety of discussion we may use our eyes to contemplate the beauty of those things which we assert have been arranged by divine providence first let us examine the earth whose situation is in the middle of the universe solid round and conglobular by its natural tendency clothed with flowers herbs trees and fruits the whole in multitudes incredible and with a variety suitable to every taste let us consider the ever cool and running springs the clear waters of the rivers the verdure of their banks the hollow depths of caves the cragginess of rocks the heights of impending mountains and the boundless extent of plains the hidden veins of gold and silver and the infinite quarries of marble what and how various are the kinds of animals tame or wild the flights and notes of birds how do the beasts live in the fields and in the forests what shall i say of men who being appointed as we may say to cultivate the earth do not suffer its fertility to be choked with weeds nor the ferocity of beasts to make it desolate who by the houses and cities which they build adorn the fields the isles and the shores if we could view these objects with the naked eye as we can by the contemplation of the mind nobody at such a sight would doubt there was a divine intelligence but how beautiful is the sea how pleasant to see the extent of it what a multitude and variety of islands how delightful are the coasts what numbers and what diversity of inhabitants does it contain some within the bosom of it some floating on the surface and others by their shells cleaving to the rocks while the sea itself approaching to the land sports so closely to its shores that those two elements appear to be but one next above the sea is the air diversified by day and night when rarefied it possesses the higher region when condensed it turns into clouds and with the waters which it gathers enriches the earth by the rain its agitation produces the winds 
it causes heat and cold according to the different seasons it sustains birds in their flight and being inhaled nourishes and preserves all animated beings add to these which alone remaineth to be mentioned the firmament of heaven a region the farthest from our abodes which surrounds and contains all things it is likewise called ether or sky the extremest bounds and limits of the universe in which the stars perform their appointed courses in a most wonderful manner among which the sun whose magnitude far surpasses the earth makes his revolution round it and by his rising and setting causes day and night sometimes coming near towards the earth and sometimes going from it he every year makes two contrary reversions from the extreme point of its course in his retreat the earth seems locked up in sadness in his return it appears exhilarated with the heavens the moon which as mathematicians demonstrate is bigger than half the earth makes her revolutions through the same spaces as the sun but at one time approaching and at another receding from the sun she diffuses the light which she has borrowed from him over the whole earth and has herself also many various changes in her appearance when she is found under the sun and opposite to it the brightness of her rays is lost but when the earth directly interposes between the moon and sun the moon is totally eclipsed the other wandering stars have their courses round the earth in the same spaces and rise and set in the same manner their motions are sometimes quick sometimes slow and often they stand still there is nothing more wonderful nothing more beautiful there is a vast number of fixed stars distinguished by the names of certain figures to which we find they have some resemblance End of part two of book two recording in memory of mitchell edwards